Welcome to the Way Life Should Be podcast. Inspiring stories of people who are making the world a better place, the qualities that guide them, and lessons they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Lauren Lombard. Today I am joined by my good friend, Santiago Vallejo, and we are going to be talking about some of your travels and experiences and things that you've learned along the way, but for those of us who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep. Uh, so hi, thanks for having me. We are recording this at almost 10 p.m. <laughs> After, Thank you for doing this. It's yeah, good to have you Playing here. around with the mic. Um, yeah, so I'm Santiago. Uh, I am many things. Um, I am a employee in corporate America. Um, I have a semi-local company in travel. Uh, but first and foremost, uh, I don't know. I'm a dad. I'm an immigrant. Um and I am a traveler myself and a big soccer fan. It's a great list. Now, the thing that I, I think we're going to really dive into most in this conversation is about your travels and where that's taken you in the world and, and what has come out of those experiences and what you've learned. So I know that one thing that is really important to you and significant in your life is visiting UNESCO sites. And I think that anyone that has had a five-minute conversation with you or more <laughs> has heard about some of your travels and um, some of the, the things that you try to see when you're in different places. And you mentioned travel being something that is significant to you, but specifically going through a list and checking off some of these locations and um, visiting some of them. So um, why, well, first of all, I guess we should explain what is UNESCO and um, and then we can kind of get into more of, of what that is. Yeah, let's start with that. So you're right. Anybody that talks to me can't escape the mention of UNESCO. Uh, I don't work for them. I am not a paid influencer or marketer for them, but UNESCO is a United Nations Educational Science and Cultural Organization. And they look after precisely those things, the, the, the promotion and the support of education, of science, of, of many things. So they are involved all the way from promoting literacy around the world to ensuring the equal access to education for women in underdeveloped countries for little girls and many things, including the conservation of cultural places. In 1972, the World Heritage Fund or the World Heritage Convention was established. And what that set was essentially a framework for state parties of these UNESCO convention to pull together their funds for the preservation of cultural sites and the conservation of natural resources. 
and we'll talk a little bit more about preservation and conservation. Uh, two very specific words um, I've come to learn in, in the world of preservationists and conservationists. They, they are very much in the fine camps. But the whole idea was to universally get resources and get members of the United Nations to come together and just protect places that um, have a you know a, a universal significance, um, and that's how I got hooked into it. it. Is the more I visit these places, the more I realize uh, how similar we are uh, through our history and and some of these things that that unite us. Um, I think you asked me how did I get started on that, or maybe it'll come later. Um, yeah, like yeah, how did you get started with travel, first of all? like I know that you've been a number of places around the world, and eventually that led to you exploring UNESCO sites specifically and kind of building your travel around that. But how did you get started with travel, and um, how many places have you been, and how has that grown and, and evolved in yeah. your life? Um, so it's not that I travel a lot as a little kid. Um, you know, I'm from Colombia. I grew up in Ecuador. My dad was in the coffee business. And we used to have these vacations where sometimes he would go for business to a different city in Ecuador. And I would come with him. So growing up, it was just a number of road trips. And it was a big thing. For example, we used to live in a city called Manta on the coast. And it was a big thing for us once a year to go to the capital, to Quito. That was like a big vacation. So I remember doing that. And to me, that was travel. And then as I got older, um, I used to go with my dad to some other locations for his business. So we would go into these 12-hour road trips. And then we started going to the northern border of Ecuador or to the southern border of Ecuador or sometimes into the, um, the Amazonian part of Ecuador. And so I think a, a little bit of that exposure on the road trip kind of got me into, oh, my goodness, look at all these different landscapes. Even though Ecuador is a very tiny country, you go from beach to mountains to jungle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that was one exposure. And I think the other big exposure was my dad being in the coffee business. He was into exporting coffee. Mm-hmm. So many times I would be at work with him and I would see these coffee sacks with markings. And what happens is the marking in the, in the actual coffee tells you where it's being exported to. So I would see city so on the names. And yeah. the bags and everything. The bags, actually. Not yeah. the crates, the bags. So you mark the bag with uh-huh. where it's going. Okay. Where the lot is going. So an impressionable little kid would see places like Rotterdam, Bremen, Hamburg, New Jersey, LA, Tokyo. Mm-hmm. all these cities around all the world. The world. Yeah. And I know it was really cool to see like something that my dad worked on ended up in some of these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that kind of developed that curiosity, that and my love for soccer, watching international soccer. Um, I've always been kind of a geography buff, so I would study maps. And like I think it's this combination of multiple things that uh, as I got older and I started getting the opportunities... I knew that I, I wanted to travel first and foremost. I, I just wanted to travel. 
the UNESCO thing came accidentally. So in 2008, I was working in Helsinki in a project for um, you know, my, my employer at the time. I was there for three weeks. November in Helsinki, just imagine, dark, cold, <laughs> snowy. And in my first weekend, I didn't have any plans because, eh, I don't know, I, I just didn't plan anything. Mm-hmm. And people in the office had their own plans as well. So I was on myself. And I picked up one of those city guides that they usually give you in the hotel where they tell you what to do in the weekend. And I saw this place called Suomelina, which mm-hmm. is a fort on the Baltic. You take a small ferry from the port of Helsinki. You're in Suomelina in 20 minutes. Mm. So I went there and visited. Very pretty. It was alone. And I started reading a little bit about the history of the place. And later I learned that it was a... World Heritage Site, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that was interesting. I wonder how many other places I've been to. And then I learned, for example, that I had been to a few in India for work without knowing it. And growing up, I had been to a few in Ecuador without knowing it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I had been to 10 UNESCO sites with even trying. Wow, yeah. Uh, so that kind of sparked this... Uh, optimization question for me, which is if I have very limited time in a city, if I'm traveling for work mm-hmm. and I have very limited time in a location, what are the things that I absolutely have to see mm-hmm. that I can't miss? And at the time, I thought that looking for a UNESCO site was a very effective way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Because this is something that the world has come together to say, we should try to protect it. We should try to conserve it or preserve it for the benefit of everyone. Mm -hmm. So I thought that if any place that I would go for business, if there was a UNESCO site, then that's a place that I should go. And that's how it started. So uh, right now we're at 82 places, Wow. uh, 33 countries. Okay. And uh, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll finish it at 85. Now that is 85 of 1,073? Nearly it? 1,100, yeah. Okay. Yes. Sites in 167 countries, yes. I believe. correct. So you've got quite a list in front of you to yes. visit yes. and explore. Um, now you mentioned the first site that you realized was a UNESCO site. Have there been others that have really stood out to you? that are, you know, really memorable or um, really unique or... Um, You're asking me for, like, what's my favorite children, <laughs> essentially? Who is my favorite children? Yeah. I love them all equally. No, they're... Um, I get asked this all the time, as you can imagine. As soon as I start telling my story, people, we always want to know <laughs> the best, the worst. We, we try to rank things. And I know I'm asking you a difficult question because people ask me, oh, what's your favorite place you've ever been? And right. Like, well, it totally depends. It, How it long depends. was I there? Yeah. Who did I get to know? You know. Yeah. I would, say, I would say that the beauty of these World Heritage sites is that they stand up on their own for their uniqueness mm. and for their significance. That's great. Yeah. So... For for you to say what is the best of something, that means that they're in a category that can be ranked. Yeah. And I don't believe they can be ranked. <laughs> I can tell you, though, that because of funding 
and different governmental governmental agencies that get involved mm-hmm. running these places some of them are in much better shape than others unfortunately mm-hmm. so there is a different standard of quality and what you can enjoy in them uh, but I would say based on their significance they all stand on their own so I can't tell you that. Um, now how does it I know that there have been a number of sites that have been preserved and have been destroyed. Mm-hmm. How does that impact you to know that there's been a site that either by natural disaster or by human cause, um, these sites have disappeared from the planet and there's not an opportunity to see them? Um. Yeah, I, I think the right emotion in that case is sadness first, and then uh, this very brief moment of mourning. So um, you think about places, I mean, most recently with the conflicts in Syria and Yemen, mm-hmm. yeah. as an example, uh, like the city of Palmyra in, in Syria, beautiful temples, think about the things that they have gone through. They've went through multiple civilizations, multiple wars. They went through natural disasters. They have seen the different changes in climate Mm -hmm. from mini ice ages to the current uh, global warming phenomenon that we're experiencing. They survived all that, but they couldn't survive men and greed and wars. One more time. So that, that drives a lot of sadness and anger mm-hmm. and loss in me. And the things that have to do with natural disasters are those we can't control it too much. So um, we should be thankful that they lasted for a while. But then it, it definitely presses on me that race against time where, um, you know, my goal is to see as many as I can before I die. Some people would say, well, that's not really a goal. Uh, but it's opportunistic on me is... If I have the opportunity to go somewhere, I'm going to go and do it mm-hmm. just for that. Like the, the, the craziest thing I've done is uh, on a whim, I've gone to Mongolia with very little planning just because I was trying to hit X number of sites over there. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Madagascar. It was very impulsive. I saw a cheap ticket. After that, I looked how many UNESCO sites there were. And then I tried to get... Two out of the three. Uh, but is this race against? Is there's so many places to see? There's so many things to experience. To, and and I see my my legacy. Perhaps is a strong word, but one of the things that I'm here to do is just to help tell the story of these places, of these you know world heritage sites to other people, and maybe uh, encourage them and get them motivated to. Not go to the not only go to the beach in Cancun, and stay at the all-inclusive resort, but perhaps get out and go to Chichen Itza because, not only because they're tour guides says that you go there, but actually understand why. Or maybe go to Campeche, or if you're going to New Orleans, can you drive three hours north and go to Poverty Point, where there is these mounds of civilization, things like that. So, how has visiting these places impacted your? view of the world and your your perspective of culture and 
the differences from what you see day to day to you know broader issues that are existing other places? I wouldn't say that visiting a site itself has the effect. Is the self reflection that I go through when I'm there mm-hmm. that yeah. makes me appreciate different things. So whenever I visit a site, I obviously do a little bit of research. I want to understand what is the universal significance mm-hmm. of this place. Mm-hmm. Why was it selected? What is so unique about it? As we were talking about, like you can't rank them because they're all unique. And then I try to then compare that to anything that I've experienced before. I try to put myself into a wandering mode. And so let's say it's a very old place. Uh, it's always fun to close your eyes and try to figure out 2,000 years ago, what did it feel like? Mm. What were the sounds? What were the people walking around? Were the surroundings similar or different? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start talking to the people who live near those sites. Um, most people are incredibly proud of these heritage sites mm. and, and they really see it as their heritage. Most people will say, they'll be amazed when I ask, where are you from? They're like, welcome from the US. Like, and do you come to business? Do you come to visit? And my answer is, is usually, I point to my tattoo and then I'm like, I'm here because of this. Like I'm here, I come here because of your heritage. I, come, I came here because I wanted to see this. And that usually leads to some very fun conversations with people about what they do for the community, how they work. Um, They give you pointers in terms of if you really want to make sure that your money stays here, preserving this, you should do business over here, don't do business over there. Um, It's very interesting. Do you feel like that is more because of travel itself or because of the UNESCO sites? Like, does that perspective and that introspection and all of that come about simply by being in another country or is it enhanced or impacted in some way by being there visiting a preserved site um i think it's a recipe of multiple ingredients there's one ingredient missing in there Mm -hmm. which is you don't have to go travel to get into that introspection. Mm. You can mm-hmm. walk around your own city, you can walk around your own neighborhood, mm-hmm. and then just start comparing and start looking at things. What's different? What's the same? Start noticing things. I, I often tell my son that the most important word in the English language is the word notice. Mm. Uh, it puts you in a... Why is that? Because it puts you in a sense of wonder. It puts you into a questioning mode of... What are you noticing? So we're here. Um, what am I seeing about you? What are you seeing about me? What's different? Why are we doing the things? It, it just leads you, if you notice something, then it leads you to ask why. Yeah. So I would say if you put yourself into that mode of noticing, travel gives you opportunities to notice, notice things that are very different. And then that all that introspection is enhanced by the UNESCO sites that I visit because Mm. of the monumental significance that they have. Yeah. I think you make a very good point that a lot of people think that they 
can't relate to something because they haven't experienced it or maybe they haven't traveled or they don't care to travel or whatever um, and that there might be a thought that it automatically comes with being exposed to something that it changes and I do think that being exposed to different places has an impact on you but having that openness and cultivating curiosity so that it leads to introspection and helps you be more aware of your surroundings and how everything fits together and how it it then leads to an entirely different experience it leads to you connecting with the location with the people and with the culture and the history all of i think one of the amazing things about visiting some ancient sites and um especially i'm sure you've experienced in the unesco sites because some of them are very very old is all the history that is embedded in that site that we can't even quite wrap our minds around. So the oldest, the oldest historical places are not buildings, but nature. Think mm. about it that way. Mm. So that's something that we can experience all around us all the yeah, time. Absolutely. And we don't think about it. Like you're saying, you know, just experience your own community, your own neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Go, go walk around your city. And then try to locate the oldest trees in the city. Mm. Hundreds of years, for mm. example. Um, so so you, you can start with that. I would say you start with that curiosity. Travel, it helps you work out that exercise. And then that workout gets magnified on a UNESCO site. But travel itself doesn't do it. How many people do you and I know or know of who travel but they're in and out. Mm -hmm. They don't notice anything. Think about many people that go to, I don't know, what's the city that I hate? Las Vegas. <laughs> so many people go to Las Vegas for a conference. They go from an airport to a car to a hotel, back to a car, back to the airport. They spend zero time outside. Mm. That's not traveling, I guess. It, it's more like journeying, not, not even. <laughs> Um, transporting to yeah it's transporting <laughs> exactly that's transportation that, that's no, no, not real travel yeah so you said earlier that there is a distinct difference between preservation and conservation can you elaborate on that a little bit and what you've learned in the conversations you've had and the places you've been and how that's significant yeah, so by no means am I an expert, uh, but my interpretation is that preservation is something where you almost want to put a fence around it. You want to put it in a crystal box. You don't want anything to happen to that. It's precious. You want to keep it in pristine. So I do. Preservation means pristine type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, conservation is more of an active management of the particular site. So think about it as conservation is something that we want people to enjoy. We know that there will be a certain expenditure or a certain wear and tear, but we're going to be smart about how we manage it so that at least the resource can be exploited, people can enjoy it, but we know that it will be there for us to enjoy it. Preservation to me is something like don't change it, don't do anything about it. Be very limited on the effects of climate or humans or anything into it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I brought it up is when you think about some of the natural uh, World Heritage Sites, mm-hmm. it can be politically charged between preservationists, conservationists, or people that are not an ist at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, I'll give you a very simple example. Uh, Madagascar, mm-hmm. incredibly poor country, but they are rich, rich, rich on natural resources. Yeah. Well, the entire, I want to say the entire, three quarters of the east coast of Madagascar are rainforests and that entire chain of rainforests are considered a world heritage site because of the biodiversity that they have. But they're also on the list of endangered places because of logging, because of the things that they're doing for agriculture. So then you have into you get into this very politically charged debate, which is you have an underdeveloped country, rich in natural resources. We in the developed world see the importance of preserving those places. So we're putting pressure on developing governments to conserve or preserve. But on the other hand, local populations are seeing all these resources and they're not able to exploit them. So if they can't exploit the resources, how are they supposed to then generate wealth or generate development? to get out of property. Mm-hmm. So you see that conflict? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a wonderful show uh, from the late Anthony Bourdain when he went to Madagascar. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a line in the show where they were speaking to a Malagasy man and he said, along the, I'm going to paraphrase this, but along the lines of you white people come here to save the monkey, I eat the monkey. Mm. And that puts into, essentially, that's a great summary of this conflict mm-hmm. between preservationists, conservationists. And a preservationist would say, don't do anything. A conservationist would say, maybe we can do a little bit of development to help the local populations. And then an industrialist would say, nope, I want all the wood. We'll figure it out. Hmm. Now, I know that um, UNESCO in addition to preserving buildings and natural resources, also focuses on culture and preserving elements of a culture or community that aren't as tangible, like dance or uh, language, things like that. Yes. Um, have you explored that at all? Have you um, experienced some of those less tangible things in the travels that you've been that are listed as part of the culture that they're trying to preserve? Yeah, so so the actual list is called the intangible uh, cultural heritage or intangible heritage. And many times it's traditions that you have to time it perfectly Mm. so that you can experience it. Festivals, Mm -hmm. songs or poetry that only happen during a festival, Mm. some sort of procession, something that essentially unifies the culture and, and it's almost like a rite of some sort. Uh, so I haven't been as active exploring those. They come and go. But uh, you should actually talk about less about the visiting or experiencing of that, but the importance of why they do it. They do it as a way to actually really preserve. That is very much a preservation move. Mm-hmm. Preserve these things 
that can so easily be lost. So if there is no resources for that, entire languages can be wiped out Absolutely. because there is no scholar with funding researching the history of that particular tradition. Yeah. So the, the, the reason they do it is not just because, oh, look how pretty that song is, is a way to actively preserve all these cultures. And who knows if in a hundred years somebody's looking at a manuscript of a language that is about to disappear and they realize that there is a massive connection to something else, some other mystery that we haven't figured out. Happens all the time. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I actually read a book once um, called The Last Speakers that is about this man who's very gifted linguistically and has been working to try to preserve languages because so many cultures um, are an oral society, oral tradition where so much of the knowledge is embedded in the language and as we lose the languages we lose so much history and so much knowledge and so I think we don't and as we move towards you know languages are dying as we move towards mainstream languages that are you know helping with business and whatever it is that um, people are are wanting to you know to communicate and work with people in other other places um and as a result, we're losing some of that history, the tradition, the culture. And so I think that it's it's really good to have that awareness because I think awareness leads to action, leads to you're trying to preserve. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think between awareness and action, there's one more step, which is appreciation. Do you, do you action anything that you don't appreciate? No. Like we need to appreciate something. Uh, mm-hmm. And after we appreciate them, we're mobilized. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, I, I think if anything, my, my little message to the world around my UNESCO site is that is there's so many things to appreciate. You know, you, you, I can tell you, I can sit here and all night long <laughs> tell you about how I felt when I visited X site and I thought about Y thing. Mm-hmm. And how little it made me feel mm-hmm. in in the you know in in the vast contrast of history or so many things that have happened. So, Thingvellir National Park in Iceland. Two magnificent things about it. The first one is it's where the North American and the European tectonic plates mm-hmm. come together. Mm-hmm. You can literally touch the plates. Mm-hmm. So you can touch them. You're, one hand, you're touching North America. On the other hand, you're touching Europe. It's like Amazing. that. It's the rock. Yeah. And, and it was a place where in Iceland, for thousands of years, the Vikings will hold once a year kind of the, the equivalent of Congress or the Assembly. So this mm-hmm. is they will come to air yeah. their stuff. So you're standing there. You're seeing the plates. You see this vastness in the valley. And then you think about that the Vikings were seeing the same thing that you're seeing right now. Think about that. It's amazing. Yeah. You saw the same thing that people who were before you in a different language and they were seafarers, they were seeing that too. Wow. Now, you have preserved some of that, the things that you've experienced or the... Um, of those UNESCO sites and the UNESCO symbol. 
as a tattoo on your arm. Can you tell me more about that and what, how you made that decision to do that and, and what exactly you have um, tattooed on your arm? Yeah, I have, uh, I'll describe it. So the UNESCO logo is a partial circle with what looks like a diamond tree coming out of it in the middle. I actually don't know what it means, but it's uh, you will see that symbol everywhere that you start looking for it. And I think you're going to put it on the blog later. So yeah. I have a couple of pictures of my tattoo with a UNESCO plaque <laughs> in the sites, just to evidence that I was there. Uh, and then in the other part of my forearm is actually uh, the outline of multiple UNESCO sites around the world uh, with a paper airplane that just basically says the, the journey continues. Um, I don't know, like I like the great decisions in my life. The first tattoo was completely impulsive. Uh, I was coming off a a massive, uh, what I call a UNESCO hall in Switzerland. Um, I was there to celebrate the wedding of my good friends, David and Sophie. Uh, they got married in Switzerland. And then I used the opportunity to hit three UNESCO sites in two days. So I crossed the country twice in three day, in two days to be able to hit that and make their wedding. And I was just feeling so happy and, and so full of life on the way back from their wedding to, to Geneva that when I was on the train, I was like, you know, I need to... That was my 60th UNESCO site. Mm. And I said, you know, like this... Like, I'm, I'm so lucky and fortunate... To, to be able to do these things. Um, and if I'm serious about it, I feel like I need to have a daily reminder of how important this is to me. So I pulled out my phone and I told myself, if I can find an open tattoo shop on a Sunday in Geneva, Switzerland, in the evening, <laughs> I'll do it. And the first place that I messaged via Facebook they said, yeah, we can come over. <laughs> you can come over and do it. So that's how it became the first tattoo. Well, now you have um, that story to tell as well. Traveling yeah. and <laughs> getting a tattoo yeah. abroad. And coincidentally, my friend Maria, who I hadn't seen in like 15 years, uh, happened to be that same day in Geneva as well. So we met up for a coffee and then she came over to the tattoo shop with me. And then she was she was witness <laughs> of this. Yeah, on the UNESCO website, it shares the mission, the vision for the preservation of these sites, and it says that peace must be founded upon dialogue and mutual understanding. Peace must be built upon the intellectual and moral solidarity of humanity. Has your experience visiting? these places and interacting with different cultures and having a broadened perspective, has that spoken to you about peace or bridging cultures or has it opened up conversations for you to, to have around that topic? Um, you know, I've never thought about the peace part of, the UNESCO mission completely makes sense about education and what's in kind of the sense of community uh, as a world. 
what I would say that has forced me to think about the similarities that we have as humans. So coming to visit a place, you're talking to your guide or you're talking to the local community and you can actually tell them like, oh, you know, I, the, the way that you do this here is very similar to the way they do it in this other country that chances are they will, ne- they will never have the opportunity mm-hmm. to see there. So you can act as a bridge to explain how, you know, you've never met before, but you both had the same idea on how you're doing conservation about this. Have you thought about doing it this other way? Have you thought about getting your message out in perhaps on, on Instagram or, or, or things like that? Um, so I think that that's one way that perhaps bridging, making the world a little bit smaller through shared experiences mm-hmm. uh, perhaps can lead to that peace or at least the communication. Um, but I think the biggest one has been just empathy. Hmm. Learning empathy. Um, what you expect out of a UNESCO site in a developed world, in the developed world, very different from what you expect out of a UNESCO site in a developing country. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you just... You just have to accept the differences in terms of how they treat the site, uh, whether trying to get out of you as a visitor, and how you can actually, again, serve as a little bit of a guide and, and teach him or, or give him a little bit of curiosity in, hey, have you thought about implementing this program to be able to preserve your site mm-hmm. or attract other people or have some different interpretation methods? Do you feel like your travel or your exploration of UNESCO sites has prompted you to preserve more of your own history or get involved in local things that are happening that are related to conservation or preservation? A little bit. I'm definitely more interested in history and more interested on... uh, preserving artifacts, more interested on the legacy of architecture in the city and how cities get laid out and on urban planning and what that means for the future. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say as active in my local community. I'm just more informed as a citizen and perhaps I can have better discussions about it. Um, but as you know me a little bit, like I, I'm very bad doing small things. I usually go for really big things. Mm-hmm. And one of the projects that it's kind of brewing in the back end uh, involves what would it mean to have a UNESCO site in Minnesota? Mm. So um, research is undergoing on that. Very cool. So what's next? You said that you might hit another site or two before the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, three more sites. So there's uh, three more trips planned oh. um, between now and December. Excellent. Uh, one of them would be Country 34th. Uh, but it's three sites, three different places. Um, two of them with friends, which is always better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we'll see what next year brings up. I don't have anything scheduled yet next for next year, but 
check with me in a month and that will probably change. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you, um, I, I know that you are a constant learner, that you are a perpetual student, that you um, are always looking to understand more about the world around you and more about the things you're experiencing and yourself and how you relate to the world around you. Is there any particular thing that you've kind of taken away from your travels as a whole or anything else that you want to add? Oh, so many things. Um, I would say just a couple of tips I guess for the, for the journey person or anybody that wants to get started. One, uh, absolutely, if you are splitting hairs, you want to take a vacation, you're splitting hairs, you don't know where to go, just go into, do a Google search for UNESCO World Heritage Site, look at the map, and then you'll see how close you actually are to UNESCO sites. Um, I believe here in the U.S. we now have 26th or 27th. Mm. Um, the closest one to us in Minnesota is in Wisconsin. It's a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, those were recently added. So yeah, so do a search. The other one is if you go to these places, please do spend your money um, with the guides or with the communities that are surrounded that because a lot of that money goes towards the funding of the preservation or conservation of those places. So mm-hmm. your money does make a difference. Um, and I guess the third one is... Uh, there's this quote that I came across recently. Uh, my my alter ego is uh, Ibn Battuta. So Ibn Battuta was a Muslim explorer from the 1300s. Mm. Most of us have heard about Marco Polo. Yeah. Right. So Marco Polo was active also in the 1300s. He visited about 20 countries in a span of 17 years or so. Bimbatuta was active in the 1300s as well, so at the same time as Marco Polo, but he was act he was gone. His travel actually lasted 29 years before he went home. He was Moroccan. Whoa. He left in the world. Just uh, constantly traveling. He was gone for 29 years. He visited the equivalent of 40 countries in the 1300s. Think about that. Right. So anyway, well, it was not easy then. <laughs> yeah. So one of his quotes. Uh, is, and I'll leave you with this, is that travel, first, it leaves you speechless, and then it turns you into a storyteller. Say that one more time. I feel like that needs to kind of settle. <laughs> <laughs> travel, first, it leaves you speechless, and then it turns you into a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that it's it's in those stories that we and share the most, um, I mean, as humans, we relate to things in stories. It gives us an opportunity to kind of give a portal to those places that we've been and the things we've experienced. We crave stories. Yeah. That's a great quote. Yeah, we need to know more about that guy. He's... Second podcast. (laughs) Something else. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, something I like to ask you know this podcast is called the way life should be and you have a son and there's things that you are teaching him there are things that you've experienced in the places that you've been 
what does the way life should be mean to you? What are things that you would recommend to others that would enhance their life or make it more the way it should be? Life, the way life should be is an endless exploration, seeking to improve yourself at all times. Very good. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here, for having this conversation. I feel like you know, there's so much more we could dig into on some of the places you've been and the things you've experienced. I know we just barely scratched the surface on that, but I feel like it is inspiring to hear about some of these locations that people are working so hard to preserve. And I, I kind of feel like it's, it's our duty to educate ourselves and to visit some of these places and to engage with different cultures. And so thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing about that and for promoting that being the UNESCO UNESCO's best ambassador. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I really feel like you really give a voice for why these things are important and um, tell everybody that you know, and that's, that's what a true ambassador does. So thank you for being here with us today and for, for giving us a glimpse into your travels and your life. Yeah. No problem, Laura. Thank you for having me and see you on the road. Great. Thanks. You've been listening to The Way Life Should Be, music written by Jenny and Tyler, entitled Love Through Me. Follow us online at Life B Podcast for updates. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.